0: Are there teenagers here tonight, teenagers? There they are. I love teenagers. I thought I would be a youth pastor until I was 99 because I love teenagers. But we only youth pastored for five years, and then the Lord led us to pastor. And as that happens, God leads you to do something different. He helps you to find your place, and we loved pastoring. But after six years, God began to do something really unique in my husband, and that is that every sermon he preached had to be illustrated with a video that he had created, and he would spend hours going out to battlefields and taking some story that had happened in the Civil War, and he would film it, and then he would come back, and it would flow with his sermon hours every week, and he was doing all that editing. I don't know if you know much about creating film, but there's a lot of editing involved, and he would be in that editing room for 10 hours, and he would come out, and he'd be like, oh, I'm so excited. Wait, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to tweak it. And he would go back in that room and edit. And I was like, Jesus, what is wrong with my husband? I mean, who wants to do that? I would like go crazy. But the more he did it, the more it became a passion. And we began to ask the Lord, God, what are you up to? What is this love you're putting in him? So we began to pray. God, how could we use this for your kingdom? How could we use this love To reach lost people that are hurting. And we began to search. And we discovered that within the world of missions today, the door to use technology to reach the lost is greater than it ever has been before. Because there are people all over the world. I didn't bring my cell phone up here. How many of you have a smartphone? You have a phone where you can go to Facebook or get your emails. Well, the new statistic is that 5 billion people have cell phones on the planet. And we know the latest population statistic is 7.5 billion or 8 billion. I mean, that's astronomical. And what we have learned is there are people in countries where they do not even have clean running water, but they have a cell phone. You know, if I was given the choice— I'm taking the water, baby. I don't care about the phone. But for them, it's a sign of status. It's, a, it's an ability to learn when they haven't been able to. And so what is so beautiful is there are countries where you cannot go and be a missionary because it's illegal to be a Christian in those countries. It's very, very difficult to go into those countries as a Christian and to tell people about Jesus. But we have heard so many stories that are confirmed, that are proven over and over again of Jesus appearing to these people in a vision or in a dream. And then they go and they search, well, what is, what is this? Who is Jesus? Well, you know, 50 years ago, who did you ask that had the most experience that would know everything? We'd usually go to grandma or grandpa, right? But today, if you want to know anything in a moment, where do you go? You go to Google. That's right. So what do you think these people are doing? They have ways to route about their country's uh, filters, and they go to Google, and they type in, in their language, who is Jesus? And here's my question to you. Who has put together websites in every language so that when they type that in, they find a good, full gospel representation of who Jesus is? I am so thankful God has called us to be a part of that team. We started out eight years ago when we entered missions and we went to Spain to work with international media, and then we ended up back in the States. And this is the team they've recruited us because they're like, we need people that have your skill set to create the video component. Because we all know when you go to a website, if it doesn't catch your attention within like 30 seconds, what do you do? Click, right? Because we all have like this ADD. We can't like, oh, it's just like not getting our attention. Well, part of his job is he creates that felt need video. So when they go there, it's a video that speaks to the heart about the human need. And then these, these websites are full in their language of who Jesus is. And we were actually blessed. Do you remember the Bible series that was put on the History Channel? They've given them rights to where my husband has been able to take any of their footage, edit it, and create small little snippets that just shortly tell the story of who Jesus is. And that's like a miracle. I mean, people in Hollywood and in that, that realm, they don't give their rights away, but they did for our ministry group. And so they set out about 2008 or so to reach 10 million people through the internet. But in five years, they reached that goal. They thought it would take them 10 years. So they've had to redo the whole goal to 100 million people because that's the thing, technology and the internet is growing at such a vast rate and people are coming. Here's the cool thing, we have people on our team, they're the internet, you know, the IT guys, they do the Google AdWords so that when somebody in Arabic types in, I I feel suicidal or I'm lonely or I don't have any hope. They know how to get those right words so that they're driven that the first site they come to is the ones that we've created. And that's the beautiful thing is that it isn't just people searching for who is Jesus. There's people that are hurting that are just looking for answers. And so if you guys are ready, I'm going to show you to wrap this up because it's so hard to understand. We have a four-minute video that's going to show you exactly how this ministry is working if you want to go ahead and roll that.
1: People like you and me use the Internet for business, news, entertainment, and social networking. But they write to us, telling us that we are also online looking desperately for help, hope, and rescue from the dilemmas of life that trouble them deeply. We must see the Internet as a mission field and lead them to Jesus. Network 21-1 uses 21st century technology to communicate the first century gospel by helping people discover and grow in their journey with God. Project 100 Million was created to present the gospel to 100 million people worldwide by using the internet as a tool of the gospel. People search on Google and type their problem or issues for which they need an answer. We purchase advertising words, which allows them to find Network 211 content more readily. We present the good news as the answer they are seeking. Journey Answers is our most viewed evangelism site and is offered in six.
0: Hallelujah. I love that story. People without hope finding the hope in Jesus. And, you know, one of the coolest things that I think about this ministry that we're involved with is it's not just telling people about Jesus. But there is a place at the bottom of every website where they can click a button saying, I have come into faith that Jesus is the son of God. And when they do that, we have people lined up in a queue that speak their language that begin the discipleship process. That is so important. So it's not just, you know, having numbers. Well, this many people came through. But they're people who are reaching out. And then we can start discipleship with them with the goal to connect them with believers near where they are. I love that that term they use. We take people from searches to churches. Because really, being involved in a local church is so important to making it. And being a Christian is having a family that will come around you and teach you and help you to grow, right? You guys are uh, living and breathing and being a part of that, of what it is to have a church family. But, you know, some of these people, they obviously don't have churches, but they don't even have Bibles. And so one of the guys uh, wrote to us from Yemen, and he said, I've never had a Bible But since I found your website, I downloaded one from the internet. But then he wrote, but I don't understand it. Can somebody please help me? And, you know, that's the thing is they've not grown up in a culture steeped with biblical knowledge. So not only is God using us to reach people that are hurting, that are lost, but also to bring them into mature Christianity and to lead them into a fellowship of other believers. I mean, it's beautiful the way God uses different ministries. Now, if you would have told me 10 years ago that God would call us to be missionaries in this way, I would have probably looked at you funny thinking, you know, I always thought missions was, you know, you were called to go to a specific place. But God is showing us that he's taking gifts that he puts within you maybe a skill or a gift that you have, and he can use that for missions because not everybody's going to go to that country in Africa, but there's a lot of people that need to be reached, and it takes special skill sets, special passions to do that, but who's going to do it? And I'm just so just thankful that God is letting us be a part of reaching these people that are lost because I think of where I was before I had Jesus in my life, how empty I was. And I think of how they are and what a beautiful thing it is that they are able to receive Jesus through the Internet, right? The Internet is full of dark things, things that we know are bad. But I thank God he can redeem anything. He can take anything that the devil is using for bad and use it for his good and his glory. And we are just so thankful to be a part of that. Now, I thank The Assemblies of God, as Pastor said, that they are a missions organization. And I believe God's blessing has been on that because when they first started out, it was to reach the world. And in America, you know, I've learned, like when we moved to Spain, um, I'd been on mission trips before. Have you guys been on mission trips? Anybody? Mission trips. Yeah, you've been on mission trips before. And I would go for a week and fall in love with that people group, and I'd think, oh, man, I could just live here with these people because you just fall in love with it. But I learned that when we actually move to another country and you live there week after week after month after month, that there are certain dynamics, no matter how much someone tells you, you just can't fully comprehend and understand until you walk it out. And so we were, when we left to go to Spain, we had two little girls, and now, of course, they're both as tall as me, which doesn't take much, Uh, but everyone we see that knew them, they're like, oh, they were so little, and they hear that all the time. They're like, we're so tired of hearing that, (laughs) because they were little girls, but now they're as tall as me, and while we were there, the Lord decided that he would send a surprise back to America with us, and we brought a baby home with us that we had not planned. And so the thing is, is our first little girl, when I was expecting her, I had that disorder called hyperemesis, where you're sick the entire pregnancy, morning to night, the whole way through. And it was like losing your life, you know. It was, I I could do nothing. And so we really didn't even know if we would go down that road again. And God called us to adopt our second daughter from China. And she's the one that's 12 years old now. And we had actually thought about adopting again, but we just weren't really sure, you know, what the Lord had until he surprised us with expecting this third baby while we were in Spain. Now, of course, I have hyperemesis, so that was part of my journey, that I was very sick through that pregnancy also. Um, We shared uh, the way the houses were, they're kind of like townhouses, and they join and the house next door to us was the actual, the uh, regional director for all of Southern Europe that lived next door to us. And bless their hearts, they know me really well because the walls are really thin where the bathrooms meet together. And during that whole pregnancy, you know, it's just a difficult journey. But, you know, we went to the grocery store, and it's just, it's different. You have to figure out what am I buying. We went to the mission field with zero language. we had never had Spanish, which Spain Spanish is different. It's very guttural It has a lot of different um, intonations, but also a few different, like, vocabulary things. And we always think of Spanish as Spanish. But they wanted us to learn in Spain because it's so different. So we were in the middle of trying to go to language school. I was sick. Two little girls adjusting to the culture. All the things you go through with government papers, you know, to live there. And it was really, like, eye-opening of, wow, this is really challenging every day. You know, we're thinking of the beautiful part when you actually get to get into just doing your ministry, not just all those layers of the weeks and months that you get started. And so right before the baby was to be born, our doctor, who spoke a little bit of English, discovered that Micah was in distress, and that was our baby. And he wanted us to go straight to the hospital. But I am an optimist, you know, I just always, after the Lord did so much in my life, at one point I was a very negative person when the Lord first saved me, and God just changed me to be an optimist, that I was just like, oh, it's going to be fine, we're going to get there, and he's going to be like, oh, it's good. Seriously, that is what I was thinking, but I am telling you, when we got to that hospital there in Madrid, it was one of the craziest experiences you can imagine, and I don't know if there's anyone here that's my people. You know, I like Discovery Channel surgery. You know, they take out the beating heart, and they're doing the new veins, and they're fixing it, and they sew it up. I'm like, yeah. Where are you? Is there any people here you love watching stuff? Yeah, there you are. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I love that stuff. Well, I had watched people have C-sections on the Discovery Channel and it was beautiful. They take the baby, they give the baby to the family, and there's like unicorns and rainbows floating everywhere, right? Well, our experience in that hospital was more like a horror movie because from the moment they wheeled me in, I wasn't even checked into the hospital yet, they all began to scream in Spanish and they were throwing instruments out and they were trying to get me on the table And when my husband finally came back to be with me, I didn't even know where our two little girls were. And he began to pray in the spirit. Because at that point, we were really worried of what is going on. And since we came back to the States, I talked to my doctors, and we told them about this experience. Because Brad told me, he said, Glenda, I didn't know if you would live, if the baby would live. He said, it was horrifying because of the violence of my body, them doing the C-section. I mean, it's something that, that just is beyond what we can imagine. But, you know, I just thought, you know, we'll just get through this. It's going to be fine. I didn't really think much about it. We had to spend a week in the hospital, no one to translate. You know, we're using our caveman Spanish skills and our Google Translate that is not very accurate. Uh, but we made it through that week. And we went home and we had family visit us and then they left. But then all of a sudden, one day, my body shut down. I couldn't eat anymore. I lost so much weight within three weeks after the baby born. Baby was born, I weighed less than when I was pregnant and before. I mean, I was just skin and bones immediately. And I was so sick, but we didn't know what was going on. And then one day, I began to cry. And I cried all day. But here's the unique thing. I wasn't thinking anything sad or overwhelming or depressing. I didn't know why I was crying. So, you know, usually if someone has a postpartum experience, it's because they're feeling overwhelmed. But with me, it was like my body was doing this. So then you can imagine I began to cry because I didn't know why I was crying. and It was really like a crazy thing. But it went on for day after day after day after day. And we had no idea what was going on. So I went to see a doctor there in Madrid, and he gave me a pill, and he said, I want you to try this, and we'll see you back here in September. And this was like July 15th, because we didn't realize that in the country of Spain, part of their culture, everyone takes vacation for the month of August. You don't choose your vacation, the culture, everyone leaves during the month of August. So there were no more doctors for me to see in August. So guess when I got really bad was the middle of August. And so all of our leaders, they went through all these special things to get us back to the States, because we all thought, well, if I can just see my doctor, figure out what's going on, get it fixed, and then come back, and then we'll continue on with everything that we're doing for the Lord. Well, after we came back to the States, I sat with my doctor, who sent me to a specialist, who sent me to another specialist, who all looked at me and said, you have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I just, I was so overwhelmed with, I thought that was just for people in the military, people who've been subject to war, or you know, something of a great crisis. And they began my journey of education. Of any time your body is subject to trauma, it could be a car accident, it could be the death of a loved one, it could be a surgical procedure at a hospital, it could be you're a victim of some type of abuse, Your body, your brain, your nervous system is part of your, like your circulatory system and your heart. It releases neurotransmitters to deal with all of the trauma. And there are many times where your body just can't get back where it used to be. And you have post-traumatic, after the trauma, stress disorder. I didn't know what that meant. But I had all these extra things wrong with me. And we began to learn because I would not leave the mission field. I refused. I was like, we are not leaving. We are staying. You know, you're just so committed. We stayed six weeks with me in the condition that I was in with zero help, zero support that I had other issues within my body where my nervous system was just broken and the nerves in my arms would burn all the time. My insides just felt like they were quaking every day. And you know what? We came back and people began to pray over me. I would stand in so many uh, churches that love us and support us, and they would pray over me. I would pray, Lord Jesus, heal me, because I believe in healing, and I've experienced it, and I've seen it before. But it seemed like God was silent. I began to live knowing and understanding what is an anxiety attack. I've walked it, and I've lived it. You know, and I will be very honest and say to you, because we pastored, and you know, we had a few ladies in our church that struggle with depression a lot, and I'll be very transparent and share with you, there were times where I would just think, don't they know Jesus can help them with that? Because I didn't understand. There are many times that is out of your control, because I can promise you, I never chose to be in that shape. PTSD, depression, anxiety, panic, all those things can go hand in hand. And so for three years, I suffered with the effects of PTSD. I could not leave our home except I would go to church because of the anxiety attacks. And I'm an extrovert. I love to be around people, but I could not be around people. We would go to church. People would start talking to me, and I would look at my husband with that look of, please get me out of here, because I could feel it. It was rising There's this feeling of panic coming. And it's not logical. But by the time we got home, almost every week, I would be in full-on anxiety attack. And there was no reason for it. It wasn't like I had a thought of fear. It was out of my control. And so, thus began more education and more journey. And my doctors explained that when you have a conversation with new people or people you know, your body naturally gives you a little bit of adrenaline, a little bit of cortisol. That's life. But with me, because I was so broken from the trauma, it's like the lid would open, and it would just pump, adrenaline, (laughs) just keep going, and that's where the anxiety attack comes from. I never knew that. I just thought, you know, bless their hearts, do these people need attention, right? I I mean, being honest, because sometimes we think that, and in the church, we have such a stigma about depression, and about these issues that we sure don't talk about it a lot, and you know what? During those three years, I never had one person that I ever saw or heard stand in a pulpit or somebody that I at least knew and trusted say, I've been through something like this. And I felt so alone. I felt like there was no way anybody could understand what I'm going through because I lost being a mom for three years. Every single day I lived for God help me make it until bedtime. The next day, God, just please help me make it till bedtime every single day. And then I began my theological crisis, which was probably the greatest part of it. God, why? Why are you letting me go through this? Why are you not healing me? And you begin to ask, Is there something wrong with me? Do I not have enough faith? Is there maybe some sin, something wrong in my life? Maybe that's why you're not healing me? And I really began to have a battle of not understanding, God, why? But during that time, there was another missionary that I love and respect that had gone down a journey very similar. And she asked me, Glenda, have you ever gone through counseling since you've had PTSD? And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. I was like, we used to be pastors. We counseled people every week. I know what God's word says. How is that going to help me? And she said, I promise you, there is something powerful. If you will go to a Christian counselor, that they will help you walk back through your trauma. And there's something about revisiting it within your brain that's going to release these things that are held up. Well, you know, I still thought it was ridiculous even though I trusted her and respected her. But I was desperate. For three years, you can't be a mom to your kids. You're just a shell of a person. I was desperate. I was like, I will do whatever I can. So I tried. And let me tell you, there are a few therapists out there, a few counselors out there that they're not, you know, the normal fork that's in the drawer. They're a little different. So it took me four counselors to find somebody that I knew I could really share my heart with and talk through this. Because the first couple were just a little bit like, I don't think I can really talk to this person. But you know what? God is just, he's so amazing that the final person I found is the head of counseling at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. And he grew up on the mission field. So he knew not every layer was just this medical trauma. He knew our missions world. He knew all the ins and outs of things that we had to face. But it's like God matched me with who I needed. And you know what? My counselor walked me through things that I knew from the word of God and I could apply to everybody else's life, but it was hard for me to filter my situation through. But one of the the things that we came to that changed everything for me is we started talking about Joseph. So we're familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible. Did Joseph throw himself in that pit? Or did his brothers throw him in that pit? So there's a truth there that people hurt us. People can do things that cause us pain. And the reason is we live in a broken world. Since Adam and Eve and sin, our world has been broken. So there are going to be times in life where people are going to do things that hurt us. And that was a thing I had to come to grips with is it didn't mean that this was wrong or that was wrong, but that's just a natural thing. Then we went on with Joseph's life. He found himself, you know, working with Potiphar in this great leadership position, but then he got in trouble, and he ended up in prison, right? So when he was in prison, did he quit God? Did he say, God, this is it. I started out being abandoned by my family, rejected. Now I'm in prison. I give up. We know that didn't happen. We know he continued to trust God, and God brought him from the pit to the prison to the palace because God took what the enemy, Genesis 50, 20, Joseph said what Satan meant to harm, what he meant to destroy, God has taken so that I could be a part of saving the entire nation of Israel. Whoever would have thought that this boy that got thrown in a pit or this young man that was in prison, that God could take him and take the pain and the suffering and the rejection and the things he had gone through and actually use them for good. And I knew God could do that. And during that time of sickness, I said, God, I don't know how you will ever use this because my pain was so deep. I know what your word says, but I just... In your knowing, in your emotions, you just wonder, God, is there ever going to be a healing? Is there ever going to be an answer? Is there ever going to be a way out of this darkness? During the time when I was sick, I had a relapse because I didn't understand triggers. If you're exposed to things that take you back to your original trauma, it can trigger your nervous system and take you back into a really bad place. That was the darkest time of my life where... I didn't plan suicide, but I wanted to die. And I said, God, my family. See, here's what God gave me. Every time people would maybe have suicide, we'd always say, how could they do that to their family, right? But what I come to understand, my thought was, my family needs such a better life. If I was not here Man, my kids could have an opportunity to have a real mom. My husband could have. It's like you're doing them a favor. And as I have talked to people who are professionals in the industry, they're like, that is exactly right. When people become suicidal, they're not thinking about hurting their family. They're thinking of, I'm saving my family because they don't need me. I'm causing them so much pain. And so it's like that that filter was brought off that I had this new understanding of the pain that people walk through when they're in that situation. And you know, here's the thing, God, you know, God's grace was on me. It was just one day where I walked through during that really dark time to give me that understanding. I kind of came out, started counseling right after that, right after that season, after I had gone through just this time. And, you know, that's the difference between a counselor and a therapist. It's not that you're going to someone so they can tell you what to do in life. A therapist is someone who's going to help you discover truths about yourself, about what you believe about what's happened to you, what you believe about how God's responding, to bring you to the end of finding what is truth. What is the truth of God's word? Because you begin to get it all messed up in your head when you're not seeing God do what you thought he would do. And let me tell you, this is what I'm here to share, what God has called me to share while we itinerate this year. Not only has God given us a great opportunity to do missions, but after I walked through this three-year journey of pain and after I went through the season of therapy and discovering, okay, pain, Pain doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I fail God. Pain is part of life. It's a broken world. People fail us. People hurt us. And God uses it for His good. And I began to embrace the things that I'd gone through. Shortly after that, I was up praying every morning like I always did. You know, some of you will relate to this. You're praying, and one moment you're saying, God, where are you? Why are you not answering me? And you're crying, and then you turn a few minutes later. You're like, God, I'm so sorry. You know I trust you. I'm sorry I even questioned you. You know, you go back and forth. Every day. That morning, I was up praying, and the Holy Spirit of God came into the room. In my living room that day, the Holy Spirit touched me and healed me of the PTSD. Everything that was wrong in my body, the burning in my arms, the quaking inside of me, the crying that once it would start, I couldn't turn it off. It was like silence, but inside of me. And I stopped in my prayerness. I mean, you know, you don't just, you're not just crying before the Lord and then all of a sudden, it's gone. But it did, it happened. And, you know, I'd been sick for so long. I was like, God, are you going to write it on the wall? I mean, it, are you healing me? I don't even know what what this is. But the Holy Spirit was there in such a real way that day. And everything in my body was touched. And the very next day, I began to vacuum my house for the first time in months. And I was like just, you know, screaming at my family saying, would you guys check this out? You know, and they're just like, okay, mom's acting a little crazy today. But that Friday, that it was like three or four days later, we went to an event at the church for our kids. Guess who was the last person to leave? because she was talking to people. I hadn't done it in three years. And when we walked out of that building, I threw one of my girls on my back and went running through the parking lot acting like a crazy maniac like I used to do. And they hadn't seen that person in three years. I'd been a dead shell of a person. We sat in the car, and it was silence. And my husband and my girls looked at me. And in that moment, I looked at them and I told them, Jesus healed me this week. After three years of suffering with depression, PTSD, anxiety attacks, I have not had one anxiety attack since that day. But I stand here as one who's called as a minister of the gospel, as a missionary, and I say I've been there and I've walked that journey. Because we don't hear people say that. We, there's that stigma in the church. Some of us were raised, you know, that, oh, that's just a spiritual thing. You know, if, you, if you're depressed, you're just not trusting Jesus. And, you know, those are a lot of beliefs that I had been raised with. But when I began the journey and I walked with godly, Christian, amazing people that understood everything surrounding this, I began to understand that when we go through trauma in life, in this world, we end up broken And because of that, we end up with problems in our nervous system that result in anxiety and panic and depression. But, you know, sometimes we have to be able to discern. Sometimes it is a spiritual attack, and we need to discern, you know, what's going on. And there's other times where we're able to look at our whole life and see trauma we've gone through. But here's the beauty of it. God is a healer still. He is on the throne, and he loves you. In Genesis 50, 20, Joseph said, what was meant to harm, God is used for good. And there are people you may be sitting in this room, and maybe you've gone through that, or maybe you're there now, and you've questioned, when am I ever going to be healed? When am I ever going to get out of this darkness? Because I can tell you, I thought I would never get out of it. I thought that was my life, and I was stuck. It would never get any better. But you know, there's a lady in the New Testament And Jesus tells us the parable about her, how she kept knocking because she needed justice until the judge came. And she just kept on it. That's how I would pray every day, God, I'm just going to keep knocking. I don't know why you're not healing, but I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to stay truth, trusting in you because I know who you are and I know you are truth. And I don't understand what I'm going through, but I'm waiting, waiting, God, on you to do something. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 says, A person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but someone with insight will draw them out. And I believe that is like a foreshadowing of God has given us anointed people to counsel that if you're stuck and you've gone and you've gone, that will help you draw it up to where you can discover whatever it is and that you can walk in a place of healing So that God can touch you. But I am here more than any other reason to give you hope. If someone would have just told me they've been there and they made it and God touched them, I would have had hope that one day I'm going to be there too. But it was three years of feeling like I was stuck. So I'm here to give you hope. If you have someone in your family that you know that you love, they struggle with anxiety or depression I'm here to plant a seed of hope from the Holy Spirit that God sees and he can heal. And tonight, before we close this service, I want to give you guys an opportunity that we would have prayer in this place and we would believe that the Holy Spirit can come into this altar just like he did into my living room, that he can touch you, that he can give you hope, that he can heal you of the things that you struggle with. And, you know, maybe yours is not a very... Um, replica of my situation, but there may be things in your life you're praying for. Maybe you've been praying for healing in your physical body. Maybe you've been praying for a lost child. Maybe you've been praying for your marriage or your finances. We're going to believe God tonight. He's going to come into this place, and he's going to touch you and give you hope, and we're going to see miracles take place. Pastor, I don't know what you usually do for altar music, but however you want to do that, If everyone would just stand in this place, let's bow our heads. Jesus, Lord, as we stand before you in this sanctuary, Lord, in this holy house, Lord, where we have come together to gather to worship you, the one true God, Lord, there are people that are here tonight, Lord, they've been through things and they might be hurting tonight. There may be something deep that is buried and Lord, you want them to have hope. God, I pray tonight we would see you do what only you can do because you are God and you are a healer. If you are in this place tonight, I want to pray with you. We want to pray over you that whatever it is that you need, that the Lord is going to pour out in your life. And if you're in this place tonight, as we stand with our eyes closed out of respect before the Lord, if you would raise your hand and say, Glenda, that is me, and I want to be prayed over And I need God to do something in me tonight. If you would lift your hand and say, that's me. I see those hands. Yes, I see them. Say, I need prayer. I need God to touch me. Yes. Once you raise your hand, you can put it back down. Maybe you're here tonight, and you would just say, there is something in my life I'm waiting on God to do. And I need hope tonight that he is still hearing me and that he is going to answer. If you would lift your hand up and say, that's me, and I need to know from the Lord that he's going to take care of this need. I see hands. You're saying, God, I need something from you tonight, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Tonight, Jesus, we are going to wait on you, and we're going to believe in you, Jesus, that you're going to have your way. Pastor, I'm going to turn this over to you to conduct as you wish.
1: I want to ask you, church family, if you raise first, if you are